This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. For the past 20 years, I've been working in the apparel industry, sourcing, buying, and printing t-shirts for my clients. The one brand I return to every time is Bella Canvas. They cover all the bases, style, sustainability, color selection, and wearability. These really are the softest shirts available. The best news is they cut their fabric in Los Angeles. And for any of us that know the apparel industry, we know what a big deal this is. Whether you're looking for t-shirts, sweatshirts, joggers, tanks, or long sleeves, Bella Canvas really does have you covered. The best news is that Bella Canvas now has a retail line available at shop.bellacanvas.com, where you can find more information about this amazing company and discover online exclusives. Use the code DBI2021 at checkout to receive 20% off your first order. Limit one per customer. Bella Canvas really did fuel the t-shirt movement. Be different. Be Bella Canvas. We see by your file you've served 20 years of a life sentence. Yes, sir. You feel you've been rehabilitated? Oh, yes, sir. Absolutely, sir. I mean, I learned my lesson. I can honestly say that I'm a changed man. No longer a danger to society. That's God's honest truth. This week, we talked to Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. We discussed hiring returning citizens, getting rid of petty offenses like marijuana possession, and the battle to change the punishment-oriented laws in Pennsylvania. Your call to action for this week is to explain to at least one friend or family member how important it is to support candidates that are changing the criminal justice system. Thanks for listening. I'm the Lieutenant Governor of Pennsylvania. My name is John Fetterman. And one of the roles of Lieutenant Governor in Pennsylvania is you chair the Board of Pardons and Commutations. And in Pennsylvania, that is the only way to expunge or clear a person's record uh, of past crimes and convictions. And it's the only way an, an individual sentenced to die in prison, life without parole, has a chance to get out in, in that regard. And as my role there, it has demonstrated to me and in, re- and in response to seeing what's gone on and the, the circumstances that are in, it has led me to lead the charge on clemency and second chances in Pennsylvania and to create a level of success that has been unmatched by every lieutenant governor in the last, I think really since 1978 here in Pennsylvania. And it's something that is deeply meaningful to me, and perhaps it's probably the most meaningful thing to me. And if I were in a position to be able to do this for the rest of my life, I would do that. It's that meaningful for me. That is a great thing to hear from an elected official, especially. And as you know, by the name of our podcast, Death by Incarceration, that we 
take this matter seriously. You know, on a personal note, I don't feel it's right to basically use life sentences as a death sentence. You know, as people get older, the studies show that they age out of certain behaviors and attitudes. One of the things I wanted to really drill down on is yesterday, your office released a report that highlights racial disparities and need for second degree statute change. And one of the issues that we see time and time again is this, what is called second degree murder in the state of Pennsylvania. It's essentially a conspiracy charge. If you're there during the commission of crime and somebody gets killed, you can be held to uh, a, a life sentence for that, even if you had nothing to do with the murder itself and didn't even Correct. know it was going to occur. So I think that this report is really important. I got a chance to skim it this morning. Christina sent it over. But it's it makes some glaring facts kind of come to light for everybody around who is getting this kind of sentence. And it is clearly directed at, at black and brown men. So do you want to talk about the report a little bit? Sure. How you all formulated the facts in that? Because it's a pretty amazing piece of work. It was a collaboration that I, I put Pulse and the Heinz Endowment together. Pulse, of course, as you know, is based out of Philadelphia. The Heinz Endowment is based out of Pittsburgh. And I, I said, look, this is an issue that needs to be addressed. And it's like no one's ever studied it in such a comprehensive way to, to really bring this to specific relief and stark realities. And this report is a manifestation of that. And my commitment to let people understand what has been happening in their name in the, our Commonwealth for the last 40 years or more. And second degree murder is the ultimate mandatory minimum. And that's what's so catastrophic about it. And to your point, it dooms people to die in prison, though they did not directly take a life. And what does that look like in Pennsylvania? It looks like George Trudell. George Trudell got in a fight with a friend of his. His friend stabbed a man who ended up dying. The friend got charged and did seven years in prison. George was convicted of second-degree murder and was on his 31st year when we sprung him and, and released him. Think about that. The guy that actually stabbed someone did seven years. George who didn't uh, and, and that was never intended to did more than four times the number of years in prison. And and that's not justice. And if you think that is hell, I don't want your vote. Like if you think that's okay, or we should be cool with that, that's appalling to me. Yeah. Naomi Blunt, Naomi Blunt was forensically exonerated by a judge in 1985. Yet she languished in prison for decades more and wasn't even able to get a, a, a merit hearing under my predecessor. She was denied zero to five. And when I came upon her case, I insisted we do it and we got her out. And Naomi Blunt is one of the finest people I know. And I would be delighted if she would watch my children or, you know, be my neighbor or whatever. These are the people, these are the faces of folks that are condemned to die in prison in Pennsylvania or the Horton brothers or the Evans brothers. These are some of the, some of the most decent people I've had the privilege of knowing in my life. And for skeptics or those that aren't familiar with with the state of affairs in Pennsylvania, I reference a cultural touchstone that most have seen, the Shawshank Redemption. And I say, who thinks Morgan Freeman should have died in prison? You know, and no one says, yeah, they should have. Then I'm like, that's what this looks like in Pennsylvania. Ellis Boyd Redding, if I'll say you've served 40 years of a life sentence, you feel you've been rehabilitated? Rehabilitated? 
Well, now, let me see. You know, I don't have any idea what that means. Well, it means you're ready to rejoin society. I know what you think it means, Sonny. To me, it's just a made-up word. A politician's word, so that young fellows like yourself can wear a suit and a tie and have a job. What do you really want to know? Am I sorry for what I did? Well, I... There's not a day goes by I don't feel regret. Not because I'm in here, because you think I should. I look back on the way I was then. A young, stupid kid who committed that terrible crime. I want to talk to him. I want to try to talk some sense to him. Tell him the way things are. But I can't. That kid's long gone. And this old man is all that's left. I gotta live with that. Rehabilitated. It's just a bullshit word. So you go on and stamp your form, Sonny, and stop wasting my time. And let me say, if you think he should die in prison, then don't vote for me. I don't want your vote. I believe in redemption. I believe that we are not who we are when we were 18, 19, 20. We are not the sum total of the worst decision we were ever involved in or took part in. I believe that we need to allow a path of redemption. It should be more generous and less unforgiving. I can't think of anything worse than being condemned to die in prison and knowing that you'll never walk in grass again or you'll never see your family again unless it's through plexiglass. I just think we need to be better as a society than that. I got a question for you, Lieutenant Governor. As Lieutenant Governor, what is your position on juvenile life is coming home and being on parole for life? When we see neighboring states, they're not even putting juvenile lifers on parole for life. For example, Michigan, they're only putting them on five years supervision as they integrate back into the community. But in Pennsylvania, it's almost like you went from one life sentence to another life sentence on parole. Yeah. As Lieutenant Governor, what do you think about that position? I think that the, the juvenile lifer decision is, is an amazing opportunity for us to really demonstrate. Look at the recidivism rate of juvenile lifers. It's remarkable. And I agree with you. To be under lifetime supervision when there is no statistical evidence that would indicate that's meaningful or helpful or useful. And it's oppressive. And I, I, I don't support that, quite frankly. I think we need to, to remind people that if you look at the recidivism rate of so-called juvenile lifers, it, it's, it's indefensible, quite frankly. So. Yeah. Well, and I think Suave's case is a great example. I mean, how many juvenile lifers went back to prison for nothing and they didn't mark it as recidivism? But the system made a mistake. I think there, there'll be more of those than there are actual. Sure, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I also want to need to be frank uh, about this too. Every for every person I I help get out of prison or prevent from dying in prison, I know I'm writing my own uh, political attack ads. You know they're already doing that against me. The PA GOP sent out an email saying. Basically, Fetterman's gotten more people out in two years than every lieutenant governor combined over the last 30 years. And we need to stop him. 
And it's just like that. I, I could use that for my own campaign literature. It's like, yeah, I, and, I, and we're going to get out more before my term is up. People need to understand what the true face of this is. And they need to understand that true justice involves acknowledging that people can change. Every major world religion, redemption and forgiveness is underpinned by those, those concepts. And why do we as a society want to make that impossible for people? I, I don't understand that. And then when you spend time around these folks and understand who they are and what they're like, you know, we as a society must confront the idea of how much is truly enough. We got two men out or during our last session that served the combined more than a century in prison. Fifty one one man in particular went in prison in nineteen sixty-eight. Nineteen sixty-eight. That to put that in perspective, he's been in prison longer than I've been breathing, even longer than before I was conceived. Where is a society that we gain by grinding that person in the dust? And then putting him in a pine box when he could return to his, you know, like he's not the person that did that when he was 18 or 19 years old. I, I see firsthand these these people and I'm like, how can you be indifferent to these folks dying in prison? And I don't understand why people would, would support that. You know, I'll say this, that before you came into office, I spent 31 years incarcerated. And in them 31 years, I never, ever seen a Hispanic community. And before that, the last Hispanic that was commuted was in 1954, because we searched it. And we used to always ask, when are we going to have a Hispanic community? And here you come. And we have Adolfo Carrillo, and then we have Mojica, and then we have a couple of other people. And to us, the Latino community out here, you know, it means a lot. It means that somebody is recognizing the transformation in our community and our people. And I can tell yeah. you the people that has been given that second chance, I work with them personally. I'm helping them transform and navigate the system out here. But they are remarkable human beings. I, I agree. And, and so, you know, people need to understand that we just don't have somebody in the office that just want to see people get out of jail and then open the gates in jail and then everybody go free. We have somebody in the office, which is you, there is compassion that is reasonable and fair because a lot of people think well everybody's getting out of jail that's not the case the quest the, 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 the magic word is deserving you know if you could prove transformation then you have a chance and I believe that you install that in the population the lifeless population in Pennsylvania before you came in office was demoralized there was there, nobody wanted to apply for commentation because the, the belief was they're not going to pay you no mind. It takes four or five years for them to even look at your application. You know, so when I see somebody like you, I am forced to advocate and to let our people know in our community, people like Lieutenant Governor Ferdinand don't come around often. And, and, and this is why my community, Philadelphia, needs to support you. Because if you've done that, on a state level, can you imagine what you could do on the federal level? John Fetterman, the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania, looms tall both in person and in politics. The Senate will now come to order. You know, the president can sue a ham sandwich. He can send a thousand lawyers to Pennsylvania. 
The 51-year-old Democrat gained national attention. Lieutenant Governor Stone Cold is absolutely right. For his brash and cutting defense of Pennsylvania's vote against false claims of fraud. All they have is lies. They've had over three weeks now to come up with anything concrete. Especially on Twitter, where he's even more outspoken. You know, getting on Twitter every morning is like starting the day with a, a dog turd and motor oil smoothie. It's it just, it's it's horrible. You got to form that phalanx and push back against that. And I do that in a way that mixes kind of humor and mockery in, 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 with cold, hard facts. I'm beyond honored for your words, and, and it means everything. And I got a chance to see the Horton brothers for the first time, you know, outside of the prison setting or our interview for their commutations, I, I honestly, I, I, I started to cry. I mean, uh, you know, talking to them because these men were thrown away. These men were, you know, incarcerated for something that they didn't do. And I don't know how anyone survives this. I, I don't. I so strongly believe in, in, in second chances. And it, it, it really, it's an appeal to basic justice as far as I'm concerned. And we should not be in a place where we've extinguished hope and we don't care about redemption and we don't believe that you're ever deserving. And, and that's just not how I am or who I ever will be. And I don't care if that's used against me politically or to your point that you made that we just, they say, I just want to let everybody out or whatever. It's like, it's not true. We need justice and justice involves redemption and second chances and allowing people the, the, the chance to be redeemed and embraced again back into society. Checker, a longtime partner of my company, Social Imprints, is a sponsor of this podcast. Checker is a fair chance employer and the leading technology company in the background check industry. They're building a fairer future through technology that balances trust, safety, and fairness. A past record should not be a barrier to the pursuit of life and professional successes. Checker helps companies and candidates achieve their goals with products like Assess, Candidate Stories, and help with candidate expungements, among others. To learn more about Checker, these expungement services, or how to become a fair chance employer, go to Checker at Checker.com. Thank you, Checker. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. If, if elected, do you think your replacement will follow your tradition? The tradition that you just started with the conversation. I, I hope so. I hope so. But but I know I know it hasn't been easy to get to the point where we've done this. But I, I just want I I just wanted people to understand that we have a crisis in Pennsylvania of of a lot of deserving people needlessly dying in prison. And if you're not moved by the morality and the humanity of that. Think of the hundreds of millions of dollars that we're wasting on doing that, you know, and it, it just doesn't make any sense to me why we don't abolish this awful second degree murder charge. It doesn't make any sense to me that we create an impossibly high standard to give people a second chance. It doesn't make any sense to me that we are so eager and willing to throw lives away. And uh, it just it never makes it never makes any sense to me. And I can't speak to who my successor will be or what he or she will do. But I, I can tell you this, you know, my commitment 
as long as I'm lieutenant governor, is to continue to set records and make sure as many deserving people as we can are, are, are brought back to their families and their communities. I think that's an important point. The, the thing that we've been talking about a lot with our guests is the community aspect of this. And a lot of the individuals that are incarcerated, including Suave, when he was incarcerated, were originally victims of violent crime, then became actors. And really, the prison system is just another victimization of, you know, and a perpetuation of that same sort of psychology of like, might makes right and you know and sort of the power the power dynamic i think there's a another issue that i would love to just briefly cover because i know we're, we're almost out of time but the idea of actual prison reform where we're rehabilitating people and not just incarcerating people and sure, breaking sure. hopefully you will be elect, our elected senator how, how can you bring the message of true rehabilitation to a national stage by using that platform to talk just about that like it's a, an amazing and depressing statistic in Pennsylvania. We spend over three billion dollars on incarceration and punishment, but we spend barely a million dollars on redemption and and forgiveness. And that is the pardons and commutation process. Think of the disparity on that. Think of how transformative our American justice system would be if we made about and offered a path back in redemption and being able to be made whole again if you're holding up your end of the bargain and you can be a full participatory member of society and you will not be judged for the rest of your life on on the mistakes that you made when you were young or you were in the throes of addiction. I think redemption is one of the most beautiful concepts in, in religion and in our society. It's one of the most noble pursuits we can engage in as a public official as far as I'm concerned. We've got the punishment part down really well, too well, if you ask me. And we need to get to a place where justice demands that if you have redeemed yourself and made yourself and you aren't, aren't that person, then why would we deny you the ability to be made whole again? And that, I think, is, is something that I'll consistently and forever advocate as long as I have a platform to, to do so. So from my standpoint... We've the, the the paradigm is wrong. We have we have overemphasized the punishment, and we have neglected and allowed redemption to atrophy. And I know how hard that's been to reignite that in Pennsylvania. But I would only want to continue to do that at a federal level if I'm lucky enough to be elevated by my constituents. Well, I think the the stat in California, and I don't know how it how it bears out in Pennsylvania, is we spend about eighty grand a year to incarcerate. Yeah. We spend. I don't 12, think it's that high. Yeah, I don't think it's that high in Pennsylvania, except for our, our most difficult medical cases. When I mean, we have people in their seventies and eighties. I mean, that's not cheap, and it, it's just it's cruel and it's costly, and it just it's not who we are or should be. And like I said, if you're not moved by the morality. Uh, uh, and the the and the human spirit of and the power of redemption. Look at the financial aspect of it. It it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, I I think if you're a hardcore for justice, then you should be most fervently supportive of this. You know, it, it's like if you want justice, if justice is so important to you, then you can't ignore the power and the the argument of redemption too. And I spend I challenge anybody to sit down with anyone that has been given a second chance and see what the transformation is and see what has occurred and not walk away transformed yourself and believing in redemption and a second chance. I completely agree. I've been, after I got 
Queen 22 years ago, my entire career has been hiring people that have been either incarcerated or had problems with substance abuse. And most of the guys that I work with have had incredibly difficult backgrounds. I mean, I, I bring them to my house to work and do work with me here where we're all working together. And it's such an amazing community of people. And I've never had more loyal, hardworking, honest employees in any business I've ever run. And I cannot, uh, cannot express it enough. To your point, that's been my experience. There isn't one person that we have freed that I wouldn't, wouldn't give them a key to my own home. You know, like it's just that simple. Like it, it's just like I consider Naomi like a grandmother. Like you know, I mean, it's just like these are some of the best people I know, and and they they're also some of the most wrong people that I know too. In in, in cases like that, and when you as a public official ha- are in the opportunity to put the wrong things right, I don't think there's any greater gift or higher calling, quite frankly. And in my professional position. That's what I yearn to do, and I will do as long as I'm able to do that. And I think that was probably one of the the more eye-opening experiences for me was visiting uh, SDR Laurel Highlands, uh, which for all intents and purposes operates a a nursing facility within a a Pennsylvania prison. I mean, you go in there and it's men in wheelchairs. It's men who can't get out of bed anymore who are sentenced to life in prison uh, with no possibility of getting out and there is no fundamental way to look at these men and think that they they pose any public safety threat uh, if you if they were to be released I mean they, they, they I mean they how don't. much is, how much is enough how much is enough and and like the Evans brothers is another example they were up at the same time as the Horn brothers the Evans brothers uh, chose to, to steal a car which they shouldn't have done and they, they they've owned that and when they dropped the, the, the man off at a payphone, um, he ended up suffering a heart attack. And they offered the Evans brothers 10 years to plead guilty. And they said they, they, didn't, they didn't agree. And they ended up, they ended up uh, going to trial. And they've done now 38 years in prison, 38 years in prison. And they were offered deals of 10 to 20, you know, and they didn't directly kill anybody. Again, it's, it's the insanity of, of felony murder in Pennsylvania that even though you didn't take a life, yours will be taken. And then when you, you tack that on to the trial penalty, you have four men that have collectively done about 100, what is that, uh, close to 130 years in prison, and neither one of them took a life. And you know what? what's crazy? Each one of them, unless there's intervention, will serve the exact same sentence as the tree of life shooter that went in and massacred 11 people in their house of worship. And if you try to defend that as justice based, then I, 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 it's, it's indefensible and we can't have that here in Pennsylvania. And, and, and again, I've, I've, um, you know, staked my entire professional career on this idea that we can't allow this because it undermines the integrity and it is antithetical to what true justice is and it doesn't make anybody less safe. I wanted to make one last comment on, not on this topic specifically, but, you know, as a very active person in politics in Northern California, I just want to say my whole household appreciated your voice of calm during the election. Um, And just reminding all of us that all of the 
the comments and the crazy about, you know, voter fraud and everything else that was going on was all smoke and mirrors, you know, and we need those kinds of sane voices and calming voices in government. And this is regardless of political party, making things up and then promoting them to a wide audience is dangerous. And, very. You know, and we just, is a, we're, you know, we're all very involved in my house and every one of us from my mother-in-law all the way down to my kids just appreciated every time you were on TV on whatever channel it was on, just the voice of common reason that we got. And it carries through to this exact issue. This is the voice of common reason. This isn't paranoia. This isn't panic. This isn't fear. This is true on the ground experience with formerly incarcerated individuals that have returned to their normal lives, hopefully. So we, we just, on our show, we want to say thank you very much for being that rational voice in a very muddled world of politics. Well, uh, let me just say this briefly. Thank you for that. But two, all I did was sit in a chair in front of my laptop and tell the truth. Just like I'm doing right now is I just told the truth. And my pledge has always been to tell folks the truth. And I don't care politically what it costs me or what have you. You'll always know what I believe to be true. And what is true about second chances is you would be appalled and heartbroken as I am if you would understand the, the kind of people for the kind of reasons are condemned to die in Pennsylvania. And we need to do whatever we can to make sure that, that true justice is served. And, and those that don't and shouldn't die in prison don't and, sh- and shouldn't die in prison in Pennsylvania. And that's been one of the callings of my life. And if I could do it, I would do that for the rest of my life. So thank you for the opportunity to be on your podcast. And, and thank you both for, for promoting something to me that would, would be one of the most transformative things about our mandate of criminal justice reform, not only in my state, but also nationally. Thank you. I just want to say before we go in closing that as a former juvenile lifer and now a podcaster, which the voice is being heard all over the world, that I don't speak out of bias. I speak out of truth. And I just want to tell my people in Philadelphia, if we want to see some of these brothers and sisters come home and enjoy whatever life they got left with you, this is the man we need to support. Because if we don't support him, we be turning the clock back. So we need to go out and vote for Lieutenant Governor for Senate. Plain and simple. It's plain and simple. And if you don't, then I don't want to hear the complaints when the next person come through and your voice is not being heard. And if you heard it here first on death by incarceration, you know it's official. Lieutenant Governor Frederick, thank you very much. Oh, thank, thank you both. I'm, I'm truly, truly honored to have spent time with you today. It's always a pleasure to be among people that are committed to this great cause. And I, I just can't thank you both enough. Next week, we talk to Jody Kent-Levy co-executive director at the Campaign for the Fair Sentencing of Youth. We are an organization that works to end the practice of sentencing children to life in prison without parole and other extreme sentences. And in recent years, we've expanded our mission to include supporting those who are returning home. Jody brings nearly 20 years of experience in criminal justice reform to our show to discuss a broad range of topics. I just couldn't stand the idea that this was something that we were doing as a, as a society, as a country, and it's all black and brown kids and I felt a real fire in my belly coming out of that experience to to advocate for these kids and do whatever I could from my 
place in the world to, to advocate for them. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.